Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. Okay, that went pretty poorly. This week I took my own medicine based on the last newsletter, which focused on how bad gas stoves are for the climate and for the indoor climate. So I posted on our apartment building's Facebook page the facts about gas stoves and that I wanted to lead the effort in getting our gas stoves replaced for the entire building. I wrote that if I could get people to say they were interested in that, then I would also try to negotiate a good deal for the induction stoves and the various parts of the process. People literally only needed to say yes and open their door for various installers. I would handle everything. We are 24 units in my apartment building and I got a response from three people. And here are the responses. One person said, over my dead body and an excuse that we shouldn't do it because our electricity grid is not clean enough or something weird. Number two said, we already did it and we love it. I knew that one unit already did it, so that's awesome. Another one said, yes, please. I deeply and passionately want to understand why so few few people responded. The asthma argument alone should be more than enough. Who wants to have a 50-50 risk of getting asthma? I live in the hipster part of Westerbund, Copenhagen. Everyone in the building are white, privileged and have well-paying jobs. Why can't people seem to understand such basic facts and act on them? I can understand if people can't do it because of cost. That's 100% a fair reason, I guess. But if we can't figure out how to get well-educated and smart people to accept such obvious facts, then how can we get, for instance, a Trump voter to do it? Only the people can solve the climate crisis. We really need everybody. Did you try to convince anybody about gas stoves this week? If you have any insights and thoughts into this, I really want to know. Any thoughts and comments are welcome. Please comment either below or by emailing me. In the news, here are the most interesting and important news items from last week. And now the stories we follow. US presidential election. Okay, let's just agree that we continue with this until Biden is sworn in. Hopefully. Solar companies ask Biden to roll back Trump's biggest blow to the industry. No Senate, no problem. Activists camp outside Democrats' headquarters to protest Biden's fossil fuel industry hires. And Trump calls for bids to drill in the Arctic by mid-December in a race to get the permits out before Biden takes office. And even Norway is doing that. And now for some science and climate news. We may have seen the last deadly storm this season, which had a record-breaking 30 named storms. This happens as Iota wreaks havoc in South America. Greenland's largest glaciers are nearing worst-case scenario melting rate, and prominent client scientists debunk recent point-of-no-return paper. And now for technology news. A large group of EV makers creates CETA, an organization with the purpose of ensuring 100% market penetration of EVs by 2030. EU targets 300 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2050. To put that into perspective, the entire EU installed power capacity is roughly 1,000 gigawatts, and we already have about 180 gigawatts of installed wind. However, by 2050, much of that is likely at end of life. So what this means is that EU plan to power a little less, depending on the increase in power consumption, than one-third of all electricity by offshore wind. Solar plus agriculture equals agrivoltaics, which might just become Africa's next big solar market trend. And now for some investing news. $325 million EU fund to invest only in food, agriculture and ocean tech startups. General Motors invests $27 billion to fight Tesla in North America. And Bezos announces first winners of his $10 billion fund. And now for some news about major carbon emitters. 
The ultimate Darth Vader of the fossil fuel industry, Charles Koch, wants to work with the Democrats, and he has released a new book that, by surprise, touts an approach that activists has been trying to push for decades. Bottom up. What the fuck to make of this? Koch was a well-known donor to Trump, and as the book Cokeland describes in excruciating detail, he has been a major peddler and supporter of fossil fuel propaganda. And related, for $25,000 you can publish climate denial in the Washington Post. 1% of people cause half of aviation's emissions. Emissions from food production alone will put Paris targets out of reach. We need policies soon to help change to a plant-based diet. And Middle East oil majors drowning in debt. Aramco just took out new loans to pay the largest dividends in the industry. Pee in your pants much. And now for some news about politics. Top court ruling in France gives the government three months to act on climate change. Decarbonisation of Eastern Europe's energy mix is key to reaching climate goals. And UK's Boris Johnson announces details of climate plan, which is being called a good start but missing crucial points such as nature-based solution. And here's a review. And now, climate justice. Crop diversification is an important way to adapt to climate change, and in farms in Bangladesh where women is in charge, there's more of that. Desperate for fuel, people in Venezuela steal crude and make their own gasoline. Bolsonaro's attack on the Amazon breaches Brazil's constitution, climate laws argue. Funding for climate disasters are failing the most vulnerable. And California may be banning ice cars by 2030, but it's still legal to drill next door to an elementary school. All We Can Save Book Club and other books. Heated All We Can Save Book Club Week 7 and a detailed look at Bezos' climate funds allocations. And now for all the other stuff that we couldn't fit into any other category than the other category. Sci-fi author Kim Stanley Robinson with a new book that shows how to solve the climate crisis. And Green Trolling, a maniacal plan to bring down big oil. And we finish with one of the most exciting news this week, which is a new campaign by Fossil Free Media, which aims to stop PR and ad agencies to stop working with fossil fuel companies. Bill McKibben wrote a great post about the importance of it. This is going to be really exciting to follow. And now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. Drilled, Season 5, Episode 8, Damages. Chevron's legal team shocked the Ecuadorian plaintiffs with a massive racketeering claim in the US, alleging fraud, witness tampering, and even bribery. Energy Gang, automakers knew about climate change 50 years ago. This week, the gang dives into a news item I brought a few weeks ago, the fact that the automakers knew too. How to save a planet, trying to talk to your family about climate change, here's how. And also a topic we covered in a recent newsletter, some great tips in this one though. A matter of degrees, episode, cleaning up the carbon mess. A look at carbon removal technologies, both natural and technical. The interchange, episode, decoding the new energy consumer. Decarbonizing the grid is the most important thing we must do to stand a chance of solving the climate crisis. How does the new energy consumer play into that? One way to take action. Electric vehicles. The problem. Opportunities to switch cars happens rarely. When they do, we need to take advantage of them. I know. The decision to buy a new car is not something that happens every day. But when it does, we need to make the right decision, as buying a car locks in a large part of your family's emissions for the next year. Perhaps you have friends, family or colleagues who right at this moment are considering to buy a new car. We need you to help them make the right decision to purchase an EV. Remember, and for this you can see the action section of a recent newsletter that I linked to, 
that we need to get every single purchasing decision right from now on and until we have solved the climate crisis. As an EV owner myself, I run into many conversations with friends and family about EVs are not better than internal combustion engine cars. And I wanted to gather all the resources about why that is untrue in one newsletter for easy reference for anybody. Solution. EVs are better in every way. Here's a list of reasons why EVs are better. And just so you know, I was a bit late with this newsletter, so admittedly this is just off the top of my head. Number one. No CO2 emissions while driving. Yay. Lower total lifetime CO2 emissions. I'm not a researcher in this, so instead I suggest to read a study or listen to a podcast that I linked to in the newsletter. And please note that fossil fuel sponsors research studies about this keep on appearing, which claim the opposite, even in major news media. Whenever you see a new study, always check who sponsored it, and I will guarantee you that any study that says otherwise is fossil fuel sponsored. Number three, cheaper, fewer repairs and service appointments. Fewer movable components in electric motors means less service. No oil changes and other things are needed. In fact, the only maintenance you need to perform is to add sprinkler food once in a while and take it to the shop to switch between summer winter tires. This will more than make up for the, for the slightly added cost to buying an EV. And I linked to a, a post about a comparison for this. Number four, all new EVs can go anywhere. A Renault Zoe, one of the cheapest new EVs, still goes 380 kilometers on a full charge. However, you should bear in mind that you almost never use a full charge. You will probably usually use 70 to 80% of a full charge, but that's still 260 to 300 kilometers. Older used EVs might have shorter ranges though. Number five, charging stations everywhere. You can charge the car just about everywhere. If you have a house, you charge using a power outlet in your home. In many cases, the setups come for free when you sign up with a provider. If you're in an apartment building, you'll likely need to use public charging. Fortunately, in most major cities, these are everywhere nowadays. In Copenhagen, they are everywhere. From the top of my mind, I have around 30 to 40 public chargers within 600 meters of my apartment. Charging speeds are negligible. Fast charging is really only relevant when you're on vacation. In your daily life with the car, you just plug it in when you get home and you never have to worry about charging again. But when you are on vacation, fast chargers are popping up all over the place. Both Ian, Clever, Unity and more are deploying fast chargers everywhere. Of course, if you have a Tesla, you will have access to Tesla's supercharger network. All fast chargers are sufficiently fast and are usually available along major freeways when you have to drive far. On a fast charger, it takes 20 to 40 minutes to go from 0 to 100%, depending on how big the battery in your car is and the speed of the fast charger. The major parameter to look for here is how fast charging speeds your car supports. For instance, the Renault Zoe only supports 50 kilowatts, whereas fast chargers can go up to 150 plus kilowatts. Number seven, it's silent. You can probably hear the road noise more now, but in your ice car, that noise is also there. It's just drowned out by the loud noise of the engine. Number eight, one pedal driving. EVs have regenerative braking, which means that when the car slows down, the energy is fed back into the battery. Hence, in order to drive efficiently, you don't want to hit the brake pedal at all, but rather let the slowdown caused by the regenerative braking stop the car. This may seem like a small thing, but soon you can't believe you ever needed a brake pedal, except, you know, in emergency situations. And it's going to be a way more comfortable ride for your passengers as well. Number nine, no gas stations. You never have to set foot in a gas station ever again. Number 10, fun. EVs have instant torque. As soon as you put your foot down, it moves. No engine needs to rev up, just push and it goes. It's really fun. When I try to convince my family and friends about getting an EV, the number one concerns I always hear is around charging. For instance, it takes too long, for this you can see above. It's a hassle to plan charging stuff. What if you're in the middle of nowhere with no chargers nearby? 
charging on long trips is annoying. And now we go through each of these. First one, it's a hassle to plan charging stuffs. First of all, 99% of the time you don't even think about charging the car because you just plug it in when you get home from work or similar. The only time you have to think about it is when you go on vacation. And even then it's pretty easy. There are tons of apps and resources to use to make charging a no-brainer. Number one app you must get is a better route planner. Here you simply pick your car type, type your destination, and the app calculates which stops you need to make. And in the newsletter I have a screenshot where the destination I chose was ACT in southern France. You can see that the charging adds roughly 3.5 hours to my almost 19 hour trip. And you can probably optimize that if you have that if you have no range anxiety at all. I find this app to be very precise. It's plus minus 5% off most of the times, which is due to weather, road conditions, etc. If you have a really hard case of range anxiety or just have a heavy right foot, you can manually enter the average power consumption for your car. If you know how to use Google Maps, you can figure out how to charge your car on vacation. And now what about being in the middle of nowhere with no charges nearby? For that, the solution is called plug surfing. You pay a one-time fee and get a chip card. Then you download the app and now you can see all the charges you can use nearby, which is typically quite a lot. When we were driving through Germany this summer, we actually did end up at a place where there was a big, pretty big hole in Tesla's supercharger coverage. So I used the app to find a 50 kilowatt charger at a hotel in the city we stayed in. And this was a very small German town in Harzen. Granted, it's more expensive charging with this, but you only use it when you have no other options. Worst, worst, worst case, you will always carry a trickle charger in the car, which you can hook up to any power outlet. It will take you 24 hours to charge from 0 to 100%, but you would never charge that much with it. I've never used my trickle charger, but it's good to know it's there in the free case you really do run out. And now, charging on long trips is annoying. But is it really? When was the last time you really enjoyed more than 3-4 to four hours straight with no breaks? Our two-year-old is certainly not a fan of that. And the next one is, are you sure that they're better for the climate? I've already provided initial uh, arguments for this, but those that are really stubborn, you can add that electric motors are way more efficient than ICE engines. In an ICE, a lot of the energy is wasted as heat. Suppose your ICE produces one kilowatt, then maybe half of that is wasted as heat. Whereas in an EV, your electric motor produces one kilowatt, you get almost one kilowatt of power. This means that you get more driving distance per unit of pollution of your electricity grid. And the final one, batteries are horrible. Now, it's important that we don't ignore child labor and other horrors that are happening in some of these mines. This needs to be stopped at all costs. However, I gotta say that the easy argument to this one is that fossil fuels are worse when it comes to ethics. They use child labor too. They kill people, they pollute, they destroy vast swaths of nature, and they threaten the future of humanity's entire existence. For more information about these claims, see drilled or previous newsletters. If you have an EV below, please add your additional tips, pros and cons in the comments below. One action, hear something, say something. If you hear somebody talking about getting a new car, talk to them about the points above or just send them this newsletter. If you're considering yourself to buy a new car, then what's holding you back from making the decision to get an EV? That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know at michael at weeklyclimate.com. And if you enjoy this newsletter, don't forget to share it with your friends, coworkers, and people you think could benefit from reading or listening to it. And if you got directed here by a friend or another link on the internet, don't forget to subscribe either to the podcast and or the newsletter. See you all next week.